Um, did you read Zorro? No. I don't oh, even you Zorro. Bitch. Who wrote it? <laughs> Written and drawn by Sean Gordon Murphy. Really? Yeah. Zorro? Yeah. Mentioned huh. in the email that was sent out to everybody. I only skimmed it. <laughs> <laughs> that piece of quality work I do every week. I read it most weeks. I only skimmed it this week. Well, Zorro. I think Zorro oh, is the final paragraph. Oh, so that's why. Look at that. That's fucking. Okay. To be SPM. fair. To be fair. Looks like White Knight. Just, I mean, to me, that cover just looks like a Zorro comic, which is not. Yeah, but check it out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's really cool. It's really um, cool, man. My dad was not much of a comic book guy, but yeah. he was absolutely a Zorro guy. He's always wanted to be a Zorro guy, you know? I think yeah. I convinced myself as a kid that I liked that movie that I didn't understand when it came out. Like, he seems really cool, but, like, it was totally icono iconographic. Like, I had no source material for Zorro that made me think he was awesome, but I thought he was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. And right. me and you and your dad get it. of us and you did it clear the runway man this flight's about to take off your runway yeah my okay. runway right. you're is that i'm ready whenever you a are pubic hair thing oh my that's a landing strip that's the opposite oh, of a runway. Well, right. so what is a runway <laughs> yeah uh there's Ooh, the happy like trail runway, there's a happy trail <laughs> and there's the landing strip um and then the runway just a, uh horizontal a merkin <laughs> And then there's yeah, a yeah. American. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Paste, Let's get paste serious it on. about it. Yeah. Paste it on. Glue. Yeah. Glue paste. I have a song yeah. about it, bud. Welcome to the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, hosted by The Comics Place. Many people call it The Comics Place presents The Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. It's a podcast every single week from the cradle of nerd civilization. That's right. Bellingham, Washington. Django and I own, run, and patron a comic book shop in Bellingham called The Comics Place. That's what presents this podcast. And every week we gather to talk about the books that came out that week. Hey, Django. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good, but feeling light. Oh, well, yeah. Sometimes I feel like we have, this is going to sound negative, but I feel like we have a goiter named Roman. <laughs> I don't mean it to be <laughs> negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is a goiter? It's like a quapo, right? It, or it's like a, it's a neck it's like, thing. Like a, it's like an, <laughs> yeah. uh, an inflamed... Uh, <laughs> Now listen, uh, this is thyroid, gonna, this right? is this is going to sound insensitive, but when I was a child, there was a woman at the Walmart in Colville who worked there who had a big old neck goiter, and um, you know, scared me, scared the hell out of me as a kid. Yeah, yeah, was, they're they're strange things. I I feel sorry for anybody who got one. There was also a man, uh, who was silvery blue. His skin was all silvery oh, yeah. blue. Like he took too much colloidal silver. Is I, that I think what'll that's, do it? That's what it does. Yeah, there's like colloidal silver is uh, like a tonic that's made out of a specific silver concoction and if it's if you take enough of it you turn the color of this concoction well I, if i don't know if you can even go back 
if people are Pokemon, that one was shiny for sure. That's right. It's episode 339. <laughs> you can never go back, Django. <laughs> Hello try. and happy episode 339, my friends. Hey, I was in the shop the other day and picking up a Daredevil by Mark Wade omnibus that um, you guys were nice enough to let me have sitting up there taking up space for a while before I paid for it. Um, and Jeff mentioned it was one of his top three uh, favorite Daredevil runs. Um, you know, which kind of got us to talking, like, what was those top three, since there's, uh, actually quite an amazing list of, uh, writers, creative teams that have taken on Daredevil, um, and that left me wondering, who do you guys think, or what do you guys think is the most consistently written, long-running series, like a series that's had multiple creators, um, taking the helm, you know, Daredevil, your, your superhero comics, probably most likely there might be some others out there that have had, um, you know, different creative teams coming through, but what series do you think out of all Marvel, DC and everything else, um, that, you know, is always changing hands every few years has the highest bar for consistency in its writers and maybe just creative team artists included turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. It's a fantastic question. I think we got to put some parameters on this though. I think we have to discuss the nature of it. Yes. So, so spoiler alert, Will asked me this question in the store the other night and gave me a well, preview. He told right. me that today when I saw him and he also gave me a preview. Nice. So we were talking about whether maybe it is daredevil and there's no more discussion needed. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was like, yeah, it's Frank Miller and then Bendis and Brubaker. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're missing. Right two decades of books almost there. Yep. And then um, somebody who was at the book club piped in with a list of all the writers who, who have done the main daredevil series since Frank Miller. And it's a badass list of people like two names you don't know, mm -hmm. but I feel like there's, there's still 20 years there that are unremarkable, no matter how good of a creator. Right. Was on it. Right. So I, I, I don't know if we want to say amazing creators or, just consistently amazing runs. Yeah. I feel like the question is sort of like the creators, um, or at least when I talked to him in the store today, that was sort of how, like what book has had murderer row of creators? Because like, even in that daredevil one, you, like your example, there's gotta be times where great writers were on the book, but it was unremarkable. Yeah. Like Anne Nascenti. Yeah. Great writer. Created typhoid Mary in that run. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you anything else about that run. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, you know, you know. Oh, yeah. You the, know. Well, and I mean, I, I want to think about like the control, like just sort of the variables involved <clears throat> in the whole thing. And Daredevil is in this perfect spot where he's like a low A, high B tier Marvel character, which means he does not always have an ongoing series. And he does right. not have a ton of miniseries. Right. So, like, which, you know, immediately reduces the amount of garbage involved of that character that's out there. Because, mm -hmm. like, you know, you can't say Batman. Because I want to say Batman. Because I'm like, well, look at this list of writers. Holy shit. You know. You almost could, though, for the main Batman title. Yeah. But, I mean, like, Alan Moore side. Frank Miller side. Well, I guess half side. Um, what do you mean side? Like, not in the main universe. Oh yeah, but it was like, like not. Denny O'Neill from Denny O'Neill on. It's been mostly 
pretty heavy hitters. Yeah, but like also tons of not heavy hitters. Well, tons of not very good comics too. Right, for sure. Yeah. But that's the point. Like there's it's Batman. So like we got 10 issues of Tony Daniel writing it right after yeah, Grant Morrison. You know, that's true. And just tons of stuff like that. There's Alan, Alan Grant, Scott Snyder, Frank Miller, Chuck Dixon, Jeff Loeb, Grant Morrison, Denny O'Neill. Like those are no. those are like the core writers. But yeah, there's there there were there were some not great writers in the middle there too. Yeah, I mean like even James Tinian, I would say. Well, Dini, Doug Monch, Tom King, Len Wein, Ed Brubaker, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman. Okay, yeah, I mean Jim it, Starlin, Greg Rucka, Matt. I would Wagner, say Jim I would Lee, say Bray fought while Batman gets it if we're talking the sheer volume of one percent tier creators. Yeah. But if we're I, I think if you're trying to think about the number of Batman titles that come out as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, even just like side things of the main Batman series and stuff like it's well, it's a, the per, the hit percentage of high creators and high comics goes down drastically, whereas yeah. Daredevil has a small enough output that when you have a great writer for five years, that's, you know, if you're looking at the core Daredevil, it's been spe- like really, really good since Bendis Brubaker, right? Yeah. Like and, and Mark Wade had a run in yeah. there. Yeah. It's just been and, mostly a pretty amazing comic. Yeah, Andy Diggle had a bad run. Like a his people talk about Shadowland as being one of the worst things uh-huh. ever. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I still think he's got the the highest percentage, like the pie of writers on there. The slice that is jaw dropping creators is going to be the largest. I, I think that that's got to be it. But I, I think that there are some special things that cause that to be there. One of which being it's you know his unique place in in comic consumption i would say i don't know that the output has been top notch all the time because of probably licensing and and back and forth stuff like that but i think star wars has had just generally a really amazing slate of creators on it since the launch yeah i think that's especially like those two main <clears throat> titles yeah vader and star wars yeah um and then also I would say the Watchmen universe hasn't had a bad creator on it. Yeah, that's true too. Like the yeah, entire as universe. a universe. Yeah. I wouldn't um, say that the before Watchmen books are worth putting on your top 10 list, but um, one that comes to mind is doom patrol. And that is particularly mm. because of that, like daredevil effect, which is there are not many doom patrol runs, mm-hmm. you know, like you can go many years without having a doom patrol comic. So when you've got, Grant Morrison, uh, Paul Cooperberg, G- Gerard Way, um, Jill, T- or who was the woman who wrote on it that had the amazing run on it that passed away just recently? I forget her name. I'm sorry, but um, Pollock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel Pollock. You know, um, there's you know, it's a small pool, so you know, it's like five great writers or something. So it's um, you know, percent of the runs. You know who's had really solid creators until Vertigo shut down was uh, John Constantine. Yeah, Constantine. yeah. I haven't read Hellblazer, but that had a steady rotation of creators, and they all did other highly lauded works or went on to do awesome things. Yeah, yeah. That looks like one. Yeah. I take your word for it because I didn't read it. Yeah, just like you know, by issue fifty, Alan Moore had been on it. 
<laughs> Black <laughs> Hammer. Yeah, I mean that's one writer. Well, Matt Kent didn't Matt Kent do something? like hasn't he been Kent, open and up a little drew bit? Drew it. Okay. Yeah, I mean there have been a few creators on some weird little yeah, yeah anthologies yeah. and stuff, but yeah, and I'm stretching stretching the parameters even. I there. think Daredevil is like the well, perfect answer to this question. I think it is, but I think the main Batman series is is a pretty good fucking answer. I, it's it is a list of people who are maybe not quite they're in like the top three percent you know yeah like whereas yeah. daredevil has a lot of one percenters yeah um but yeah so you're saying batman is three percenters it has I more think, could, i don't know yeah i'm I I saying batman would have more three percenters yeah i think three percenters is a right-wing weird thing oh bummer it just seemed further away than two and not as much as five so yeah they're the anti-government militia <laughs> <laughs> and look it was only chuck dixon and it was only for like seven or eight years <laughs> <laughs> oh man um hey let's get into the books that came out this week like we always do. hey will thank you for that awesome question that was a great one and i love the conversation around it and you're a sweet boy and you can be just like will and send us an email that can be a text email or an audio recording and attach it to the email just like Will just did and we'll play it on the podcast or read it. We'd really like more of those, so please do it. Uh, you can do that by emailing jeff at thecomicsplace.com. Please do. Love you. Bye. Um, Django. Yes, Jeff. There's lots of places to go this week, but I think we got to talk about this one first because it was the big thing that came out this week. And we didn't order enough, and by we, I mean Jeff, that bastard. Dude, but, um, but to your credit, yeah. before we opened on Wednesday, you were worried that you'd ordered too many, right? I guess I did walk over and tell you that. And then I walked over to yeah. the stand and was like, I didn't, there's not even a ton for the stand. The, but the, I think uh, it was selling the night before. Like at the yeah, time that you did check in, it felt yeah. like too many. And I've never, since we've had Shopify, I've never seen this many organic readers order one single comic online yeah. from us. Yeah, it's pretty astounding. Um, and I only went as big as I did because, which is, you know, it was it's one of the larger order comics we've had in the last year. Um, and I was just thinking, okay, Ultimate Spider-Man originally did a thing to comics mm -hmm. that holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts and just yeah. respecters of the industry. So I was like, maybe that will, there will be an air of nostalgia for that or something. And I do think that is an aspect of what happened. Like, yeah, yeah. Ultimate Spider-Man, the original one was a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, yeah, 16 issues into the reread right now. And it's a lot of fun, but the art is still rough. So Jonathan Hickman is writing Ultimate Spider-Man with art by Marco Cicchetto. This is coming out of ultimate universe number one which was the sandwich meat between the bread that is ultimate spider-man and ultimate invasion the four issue thing written by hickman mm -hmm. and this one sees following up on that we're in the ultimate universe it's been 20 years since this universe was created different ultimate universe though yeah, different Ultimate Universe. It's a new Ultimate <clears throat> Universe, the new new. Um, and Peter Parker is a grown up dude and he's married to Mary Jane and he's got two kids, one kid, two kids, two kids. Oh. And they're a, yeah, two kids. They all have orange hair except for Peter. And they're a happy family. And Pete works at the Daily Bugle and J. Jonah Jameson is there and he and Pete get along really well, which probably has something to do with the fact that his uncle Ben is still alive and it also works high up at the Daily Bugle and is best friends with J. Jonah Jameson in an amazing relationship 
in an amazing relationship. So, and then a bunch of other things happen. This, but it it is Peter without powers, and he makes a decision. In this situation, the roles were reversed. He had great responsibility, and he chooses power. Um, but that was poetic. Um, mm. Yeah, I know. Pause. Thank you. So very good. Django that we've both mentioned in speaking positively about this book, since we've seen each other and read it like character moments that happened in this. And this is Jonathan Hickman. Do you associate him with being a particularly effective character writer? Zero. Zero. So you don't zero. I I think of him as uh, a plot and dialogue guy more than a character's guy and uh, zero is that's hyperbolic but like, right. I, I think he's got a really good voice and um ear for the motivations behind big bads like doom mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's amazing at that i don't ever f- i feel like he's above the little people like peter parker without powers and above ben and j jonah jameson i and and that was one of the things that i think came up when we were talking about um east of west for our book club Mm -hmm. and during the lockdown was that there are no people in that book it's all high up political powers and then adventurers and there's no muggles in the Mm -hmm. whole thing and so yeah i i in general i feel like he's pretty much only ever writing exceptional characters and rarely doing a human. Yeah. So this one kind of diverted that expectation, right? Like you would say, it, this it is was great so good character. at it. I forgot it was Hickman while I was reading it. Yeah. Like I and, got to the end. And I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. That was that guy that I don't think would have written this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think he did a lot of it in fantastic four in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't particularly surprise me, but but I was surprised how on display it was here because I feel like he he can definitely tap into different things. And this is, yeah, I guess it's it's pretty street level. Like you're with people this whole time, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is kind of crazy for a Hickman book. Yeah, the only time it gets kind of science fiction-y and, and weird is when the Tony Stark hologram shows up at the end and, yeah. and gives Pete some stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, and, and I loved it. Like I, I don't remember the last time I read a Hickman book and had total faith in whatever was going to happen next. Um, I hope he, I hope he gets to the end. Um, whatever. I have a lot of baggage there, but I thought this was, <laughs> this was a very, very, very well done book. Um, but we didn't quite talk enough about Ben and Jonah. I don't feel like dude. It's just you and me. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, I didn't read it like that. And I read it a second there- time today. They're just best buds running a newspaper. One of them, <laughs> one of them's a little bit like rougher and sharper than the other one, and the other guy's just nice and thoughtful. And <laughs> like they, they, they have each other's back, okay, like full hell stop. Yeah. Hell yeah! Um, even even behind each other's backs, they have each other's backs. the The scene that really got me was when Jonah took his tie off to give to Peter for the big memorial. And had a conversation about his uncle Ben, who's his father figure, while he was facing him and tying his tie. And like, so that's out of nowhere for Jonah <laughs> to be nice to Pete, right? For us. Yeah. 
It's also demonstrating that he cares about Peter because he's kind of coaching him with this big life stuff. It's also like showing that he's got an eye for detail and the appropriate outfit to wear to something like that. He's also counseling him about his uncle. And he's also clearly done this before because you don't tie a tie on someone else unless you've tied a tie on someone else before. That's one of the hardest hand things for a person to do. Like that scene, that scene did so much work for me to set Jonah up probably to be killed in two issues or something stupid like that. Oh, I hope not. I I don't think there's a way that that one of those two guys doesn't die. And if it's Ben, I'm going to be disappointed in Hickman. Well, whoa. Okay. Let's just put the (laughs) guns down. All right. Let's put the guns down. Um, yeah, you put that really well. Um, (laughs) And I love the, it being you and I in like 40 years. Yeah. You know? Like that's fucking awesome. Even when the big dramatic shitty thing happens to them. Yeah. They handle they're it. like, ah, we, we got this. Yeah. We're buddies. We'll, we got Fuck it. Y'all. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm so excited for it. And I was sort of thinking about um, while reading this again today, how like you see bullseye in this and he's just hanging out with Fisk. He's got a patch on. You're like, oh, cool. It's bullseye. Like, what's he going to be like? And that is the feeling that like really good Elseworlds or the Ultimate Universe did so well, like particularly the Ultimate Universe, um, but not alone in that. But, you know, you're just always excited to see which characters, you know, are going to be coming in and how they're done Mm -hmm. differently and how they're done the same. And I was like, yeah, no wonder. Like, you can sell that feeling. There's not a really strong, you know, like the Dark Knights of Steel and Deceased and stuff, you know, yeah. did that. But uh, it's, you know, there's not one coming out right now. Like, good on you, Marvel. Get the Ultimate Universe back. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, I love the original one. I haven't read some of the smaller, like the less, less mainstream of the series than you have. And the uh, older ones? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of Fantastic, Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yeah. And I was a big fan of the um, the Ultimates until maybe volume three or four when Jeff Loeb took it. And it, it got yeah, it got weird. Um, maybe I just like all the Edge Lord stuff that they were letting Miller do on there. Yeah, it's so edgy, edgy, so edgy. Uh, well, I want to remind everybody I'm using Roman's uh, oft used scale this this year as my New Year's resolution. So every week there is a ten. <laughs> And this week, the 10 spot is shared by two big books, but one of them is Ultimate Spider-Man number one. I am looking forward to the day that we have just a really lame week of comics. It's going to happen yeah. twice this year, and you're going to give like, yeah, you know, something you didn't expect. You're going to be forced to give it a 10. I am not following your rules, and I'm going to give it a 10. Nice. Well, I, it would get a give 10 it a higher. This, this yeah. really, yeah. really impressed me from every single angle. Yeah. And the art is amazing too. Oh, it really is. I no complaints about it at all. My brain can't help but naturally want to compare some things. So like, you know, I, I the the Zadarsky Daredevil run with it was maybe a slightly more impressive, but we I guess we haven't seen him in a costume yet. So this is just this has all oh, been people sta- Yeah, and I'm I'm comparing him to himself, but just like the right. last time we saw him was like, <laughs> you know, I, and that that is like a complaint you only that's something you only say if you are talking about an artist that you love that has been doing books recently and you know is going to be amazing so yeah yeah it's a 10 the art is the art is great this he's one of my favorite easily a top 10 working comic book artist for me right now nice 
Yeah. Nice. I, I don't have that same feeling about him, but I think he's like solidly eight out of 10 artists. Yeah. That, that daredevil one is what had kind of put him there for me. Yeah. I, um, I want him too good. I want to make that list. I like making lists. My top 10 active working writers. Like I wouldn't include Grant Morrison in that. Cause they're so on and off uh, not working. What would you put uh, um, Steve Pugh on there? No, but I, I did. I would, I wouldn't, regardless I my top 10 artists i wouldn't regardless of how often he was putting a book out really i don't know I put him in my top Q. 10 favorite artists he's flintstones guy right flintstones he's been doing uh, uh the uh billionaire island mm-hmm. he's, he's got a story in this uh acid chimp and business dog that i haven't read yet i love the art in flintstones nothing against him but i don't think he has a a track record that gets him there I mean, for me i've loved him since animal man yeah, he, he, took, oh. he took over drawing Animal Man right after Morrison left. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, Animal we're not Man. here to talk about comics from thirty-five years ago. Animal Man's probably got a relatively high hit rate of good writers, right? Mm. Grant Morrison, Jeff Lemire, uh, Peter Milligan, Peter Milligan. Uh, somebody took over after Peter Milligan, who was unremarkable. He doesn't have enough comics to really have. Right. Well, that's the thing, though. That's the ones that have a good chance of having just great writers is because there's not that many writers. (laughs) Ambush bug. Ambush bug. Hey, Django, did you read Action Comics 1061 this week? Jeff, Jason Aaron wrote it. Yeah. Of course I read it. I am. Even though it's got Bizarro in it. I'm glad that you are here, Django, to talk about. I'm glad you read it. I did also really want to hear from Roman this week about this comic. Um, But we'll make do with you and I who are not bizarro historians. I wouldn't think I'm certainly not. Um, well, let's get into that. This is written by Jason Aaron and art by, I think it's John Timms. Yeah. John Timms. Oh, hang on. Roman sent us his scores. He, he gave did. ultimate Spidey a nine and a half, maybe a 10. I'm going to say it's a 10 Roman. Yeah. 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 And, uh, well, yeah, we got, we got, we got Roman scores. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you and beef your stees. No, man. Um, I stopped making stees about two years into our relationship. Oh, was it just a glandular thing? It was just perpetually beefed. And I realized there was no point. My goiter. What happens if you take one of those off? Can you You just pluck it? No, you don't. You don't. Get your hands off that goiter. Keep your hands away from my goiter. Get your hands off that goiter. Oh, my goiter love. I put a little hat on mine and draw a face. Yeah, Merlin Burl. People keep trying to pluck it, though. Like I'm ripe or something. Uh, insensitive. Uh, Action Comics 1061, Jason Aaron. So this is a thing that's happening with, I believe, Action Comics, but maybe across the line, but this Superman Superstars thing, which is essentially a similar idea to the All-Star Superman and Batman uh, lines that they had started, which was going to be the All-Star line, which was like just short stories. Those were out of continuity by really huge writers and artists. So I think think that it's a series of amazing creators on action I okay could be wrong but no i, I, I that, like that was, dc told us that yeah i think it is just action but um so it's jason aaron that should be very exciting this is a bizarro folks this is a bizarro story folks focus this is this is an issue with bizarro and and you got stuff working against you with that me am I don't even. I can't. I can't do it. I don't care. Well, here's the problem I have with Bizarro is that not everybody writes Bizarro's language the same. Yep. Is it 
exactly the opposite? Is it, you know, thoughts are the opposite? So grouped by multiple words? Is it the whole sentence? Is it the meaning of the sentence and not necessarily the words? And it does not feel like it's consistent in this issue. No. Well, it, it's and purposely not then consistent. Then you find later. out it's purposely not consistent, but I don't think it was only inconsistent in the person, like the per- intentional ways. I think it was also inconsistent in terms of it being executed as bizarro dialogue. I'm going to just trust Jason Aaron that, yeah. that that was on purpose. Like, I think he's too good a writer to mess that up on accident dude i want to say that too django but he misuses the word myriad here or how does he use the word myriad here where he says into he's like into a myriad and that's wrong it's it's myriad. it's not how you use the word myriad i have to find the sentence it was in the preview i think that that word can be used in a couple of different ways no, kind of no. like um no 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 oh there's there's something uh i can't think of it there's there's something that i uh i'm not a big fan of that that people use correctly but in a form that i don't like as much um but it it can be like uh this is myriad that's allowed (laughs) a myriad of arcane ingredients and it should be myriad arcane ingredients it can be either one Django. I'm telling you, dude, it can be either one. Listen, man, I fucking believe you. And if you are, if you are guiding me astray here, okay, I I I am. I, okay, okay, I believe you, but I'm going to be bummed if you're wrong, if we're wrong. This is not like the time I misled you on how to pronounce Neil Gaiman. That was half on purpose and half me not being sure. This is me being almost positive (laughs) back to the original point yes we trust jason aaron because so far he has given us much reason to believe he is an incredible writer jason so things like how do you do a bizarro sentence like you think i smartest man alive you think i smartest man alive is he saying i don't think you are the dumbest woman dead yeah and that's like, what how I, deep how deep do you have to go that's how i do every fucking bizarro dialogue and okay but they helped us did they in bold bold is the reverse you think i smartest man alive you know superman you know so much yeah maybe but not every time not everybody gets to hear the bolded word though <laughs> um you know if this was a real dialogue moment yeah <sighs> be a nitpicky but it so like grant morrison's all-star superman you know one of my three favorite comic books of all time for sure mm-hmm. uh the two issues of bizarro are a chore every time and what i at least appreciate about that is that i feel like he goes they go as deep on the bizarro opposite as i've seen it mm-hmm. done yeah which i at least appreciated because i was trying to get to the, try and find the bottom every time which is i'm always what i'm doing with bizarro and that that's actually probably the most tolerable bizarro for me was in all-star superman yeah it's not an automatic dislike for me it just means that i'm not going to put in the work that you're expecting me to Um, i just don't have faith in the work that i'm going to put in as being correct that said i really like this setup yeah for some reason bizarro is not backwards and he's way 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 overpowered he's already overpowered but he's way overpowered in this 
Yeah. He's got magic against Superman. The reveal in this, because like he he's like, you know, his opposite got reversed. So he was no longer speaking in opposite, just being normally. And as he was dying, he was like crying out. And like Superman just spent like, you know, hours haunted by the sounds of him crying. And he kept hearing him crying. But then he finds out that he the he was no longer rev- you know inhibited of talking normally so he was speaking in the negative so he was actually laughing hysterically at him yeah. and that's a haunting fucking idea the idea of him like laughing so hard he's like crying as he's being obliterated by superman ooh yeah yeah there's there's a lot to like in here um, yeah i i'm i'm in for the duration yeah uh, you know What'd i you i can i give it an eight and a half like i i can't let my personal ambivalence about somebody like bizarro get in the way of clearly solid writing and like to pull me through the first dozen pages with a thousand words per page is pretty impressive through gem world he made me read every word on a gem world that's the other thing like that's pretty fucking impressive batman he's doing space and superman he's doing magic i'm just like okay like i want to see you do like a real good classic story on somebody but you're like well, I did all the store stuff, so let's. Um, I'm gonna give it an eight. I'm kind of waffling between a seven point five and an eight. Um, I have a lot of faith in him, but I wasn't. I I think it was a pretty confusing issue. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a bold I'm, a bold way to to kick it off. It is. It is. But again, I do love Jason Aaron. So and ju- I'm I'm getting word from who Roman oh, the goiter um uh he gave it an eight and a half also touch my goiter it's lucky yeah i hope none of our listeners have a loved one with a goiter because if you do we're just talking about the cartoon ones not your friend not your not your mom's yeah and there's support for that and also yeah you're right totally insensitive and i did you ever listen to the band uh um johnny sacco no they have a song from the perspective of a guy with a goiter saying that if he didn't have a goiter he'd ask you out well, he wouldn't wear nice those turtlenecks. So, Swan Songs. The miniseries Swan Songs ended this week, Jenga. What do you have to say about that outside of musical scat, which sounded like scat? Uh, I think you're offensive, Jeff. Um, I think that uh, Swan Songs, this is number six, and you just said this is where it ended. I think Swan Songs ended at number five, and we just got a, an issue of Ice Cream Man in Disguise. Because this is the writer and the artist from Ice Cream Man. This is playing with the format of comic books like Ice Cream Man. And this has on the first page and throughout the Ice Cream Man. Yeah. Which is kind of what he did with Ha Ha, where the, the final issue had an Ice Cream Man crossover. Like, And was it 100% drawn, props. drawn by Maxwell Print or, or Martin Morazzo? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. I, I thought this was a, an awesome, awesome comic book. Yeah. Um, yeah depressing in the way that maxwell prince can make something depressing um satirical in the way that he does satirical things and um hard to look at and hard to look away from yeah that's a good way to describe it w maxwell prince is somebody we have liked very much for a long time but yeah if you're doing something that's not ice cream man like swan songs and then you have the artist from Ice Cream Man telling a story like Ice Cream Man and the way that Ice Cream Man does it. Like, what's the point of doing the other series? Or I don't care. I'll allow it. 
Yeah, I'll I allow will, it. I will 100% allow it. Like it's it's not standard and it's also the kind of thing that we kind of wish comic book creators would take more chances and do more things that are out of the norm. Yeah. And this is, you know, like no offense team, but this is a pretty low stakes way for you to take a risk on an unannounced crossover. Yeah. 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 If you're reading ice cream, man, you should read this issue. Um, and vice it's, versa. It's all a, a where the sidewalks ends parody. Well, here's what like- I'll say. I was not in love with it. Mm for the first like third of it until like I realized that all of the things were stories that were continuing and they were related to each other. There was like uh-huh. different poems, all of a macabre nature. And I thought at first they, the whole issue was just going to be these one shot little dirty. I was like, Roman Django's going to be loving this. Um, <laughs> but then the fact that it turned into this like psychotic, scary thing uh, yeah. was that's where I don't ever doubt W Maxwell Prince. He's, incredible and martin ronzo the fact that these two people are teamed up and they met it's just the world is better for it because his art is detailed and wonderful but like detailed and just characterized enough that it is uncanny and uncomfortable to look at always um like and even yeah the the tiny person with the giant head that the guy hallucinates in the smooch like yeah that's not cool to look at the, the way he's like not crawling cool. towards her, like all, everything about that page is horrible. Yeah. Um, and they got the Figly Bumps in there. Yeah. They're Named after there. your very own Jeffrey Figly Bump. He didn't create them until after you emailed him, bud. You're right. You're right. And you would have written that just several months after that email. So, yeah. Um, so what do you give it? Man, I give it a nine and a half. I think it's, I think it's spectacular. Um, you know, weird weird publication process aside full marks i'm gonna go eight and a half all right but yeah really Um, really good and roman what do you think roman gave it jeff oh you you have the list i'm not i didn't look at it yet or i haven't looked at that what nine ten nice (laughs) yeah dude the 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 parody in it is just so spot on like like he's basically rewritten a bunch of the um, where the sidewalk ends shell silverstein poems and max or uh martin Morazzo's uh art is just made to ape that i was gonna say that as well like the picture of the prostitute is just it just looks like a shell silverstein drawing of a prostitute yeah um and it doesn't surprise me at all that you were and i was hypothesizing this yesterday while reading this issue that you had spent a fair amount of time with shell silverstein oh yeah yeah oh yeah yeah I bet you, you memorized chance them. came from yeah, Jeff. Yeah. I, oh, I could do Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out right now if you wanted. <laughs> Tell me about a book that you read that you don't think I read. Oh, geez. Uh, well, I, ha- I have a couple that are guaranteed, buddy. Okay. Time after time, time before time, time land, at, land before time. Over, asshole. Whoa, did you talk about the final issue? I don't, I think it came out while we were on break. Wow, you must be a real big fan. <laughs> You didn't make um, sure we had a podcast for the end of one of your favorite books. That's one of the most unsell. We've sold like six volume ones and no one has ever bought a volume two. They're missing out, man. They are missing out. Um, okay. I I want to talk a little bit about Wesley Dodd's The Sandman number four. Mm. Did you read that? Not reading that book. This is a really good book. Yeah. This issue specifically is a really good comic book. Yeah, I really like where Riley Rossmo has settled with his art style in that series because yeah. 
the Harley Quinn one was like too cartoony for me. Like people's heads looked like beans and like the body, it was just like, it, it was intentionally looking more like a Saturday morning cartoon. And this is a, well, I only went through the first issue, but it seemed much more like a return. I mean, it's still pretty cartoony, but it wasn't leaning as hard into that. Yeah. It's not as absurd. Yeah. This, this issue. So like the story has been that Wesley Dodds, who is the Sandman in the thirties or forties or whatever has, um, spent a lot of time creating gas to knock people out. No wonder you like it. Yeah. So he wants to, he wants to sell his knockout gas to the military so that they can have humane warfare, right? So they can use chemical weapons that, that put people to sleep instead of kill them. And so of course he gets laughed out of the building. And then the next day, his, uh, his house gets broken into and all of his notes for all the iterations it took for him to get to a gas that was non-lethal gets stolen. So he's just racked with guilt that his invention is going to lead to the deaths of a whole bunch of people at some point, because it's clear that that's, you know, this, this deadly weapon is in somebody else's hands. And at some point he gets gassed with something that just makes him kind of hallucinate and see his, his whole past and his history and all of his failings. And, you know, like, I'm eight years old at the corner market. I steal a chocolate bar. The owner sees, but says nothing because my father is a rich man. I feel his resentment. Like Whoa. he's finally understanding his shitty actions and their repercussions on, on poorer people and people that, that he just never really thought about before. And he's, he's a hero. He's a good guy, but he was raised as a kind of a rich, super privileged guy. And it's like four or five pages of that, just him going through his life and and explaining what is making him like all these realizations he's having. And then there's just a good classic like pulpy fight in a in a high rise apartment where the guy gets kicked out of the window and and dies. And uh, yeah, this this I haven't loved the series, but this issue number four comic book is a really good comic book example of what a comic book can comic book to you. Dang, that sounds really good. And then again, like Riley Rossmo's art is phenomenal. Yeah. And like I, even his more cartoony style, I didn't necessarily like reading a ton, but I would always flip through it because it's unlike anything and I love it. But I really like his, you know, slightly less absurd style. Absurd is a good way to put it. Um, yeah. And so I give that a nine. Nice. Um, like dude. I show up to, to Wesley Dodd's Sandman books because of the trench coat and the shadow hat. And the gas mask like he's yeah, got one of my favorite uh costume designs it's good but this one is actually really really well done and if i can put a plug in for a back issue there was a sandman and sandman mystery theater crossover a long time ago by, by matt wagner that was excellent as well mm, probably in the black back issue module um on the topic of pulpy books Mm-hmm. Um, I read Zorro Man of the Dead number one written and drawn by Sean Gordon Murphy Sean Gordon Murphy who did the Batman White Knight stuff is doing plot holes right now and is writing plot holes as well as doing the art and the writing's pretty good in it and the writing is pretty dang good in this too so with White Knight yeah I it's very exciting I think and I guess he did Punk Rock Jesus too he's a very proficient writer as well as an artist. So it's cool to have him writing and drawing a book. And it's cool that it's Zorro, because as Django and I were talking about earlier before the podcast, Zorro is one of those characters that we both like intrinsically 
very much, but don't really have much of a, a basis for that. Like, I, I don't, I've never liked any Zoro source material, even though I've checked a lot of it out because I think he's really cool. I don't know why I think he's cool. It's that costume and the Z and the sword. Although Django's not that into swords. Is this Man of the Dead? What is, what is yeah, the, it's, yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, this is a pretty cool Zoro story. It is like modern day taking place right now as far as i know or at oh. least very close to now so is it a descendant of zoro it is a descendant of zoro gets killed and his two kids age up 20 years the son is like living with some guy and has some like brain confusion after it and we're sort of following the girl who's a getaway driver because uh, the town that they're in in Mexico is kind of run by the cartel and she gets involved in some situation um, where she has to be the driver of the cartel, but they ultimately go to where her brother is and she hasn't seen her brother since this all happened. Her mm-hmm. dad was killed 20 years earlier and she sees him and he's like practicing sword stuff with this guy and the cartel kills the guy and she like saves her brother and the old guy passes the sword of Zoro down to the kid. And the kid, like, seems, who's, like, 20 years older now, the younger brother, seems to, like, think he's Zoro. Um, yeah. And now he's like, all right, sis, let's, we're going to do this thing. And she's like, all right, get in the car. And he's like, I don't know what that contra- that horseless carriage is. But so, like, <laughs> his, his, like, brain stopped developing at the time that this trauma happened. And now his new paternal figure was murdered and he's becoming Zorro with his sister in tow to go kill the cartel person. I thought it was just a really good way of making the Zorro story fit today while being yeah. not just a classic, like, Oh, I'm the descendant of Zorro type thing. Like it was a, it's a fun way of getting there. And the like amnesia aspect is cool as well. Um, so there's uh, the, in the solicitation, it says Don Quixote meets Narcos. Nice. Which Don Quixote was like this delusional old man who was uh, like going on adventures and thought that windmills were dragons. So he was running his lance at the windmills. It's where the the term tilting at windmills comes from. Um, Yeah, it's uh, like just exactly what you just described, like a delusional man with a sword on a horse. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So and then all of that drawn by Sean Gordon Murphy. So it is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, I gave it an 8.5. Roman, you were ever an eight. Yeah. If you're ever Zorro curious, this is a great place to check it out. Nice. Django, I don't know that there's a ton to say about it, but I just want to give you a a temp check on Transformers number four. Oh, so good. You like it's that? It's so good. It's so good. It's so, it's so good. We only have two issues left after this, man. I and know. And I was worried that there was only one. I had to go online again afterwards. I was like, I got to make sure that there's a sixth issue. Who do they get to follow this up? I'm not convinced he's not going to do another mini series just by his responses in the letters. I certainly hope so. Because, I mean, spoiler alert, the last three pages are rad. The last pages are really, really cool, and I didn't see them coming. Yeah, They're awesome. Like, why would you? Yeah. We've we've been told that the last one wouldn't happen in this series, and I don't, I'm not a Transformers historian, but I don't know that the third to last page has ever happened. Yeah, I don't know that it has either. Um, 
Optimus Prime was missing an arm, spoilers, at last issue. And so they go to Megatron's like frozen corpse and they pull off his arm with the gun cannon and put it on Optimus Prime so he can use it to fight the other Decepticons. Okay. I don't think that's exactly what happened. What happened? I think, I think that he had. Oh, sorry. He had it in his He convoy. had it in his trailer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why did Optimus have Megatron's gun and arm in his trailer? Well, and then we see the carcass of Megatron frozen. So like they went yeah. and got it at some point or something. Or he ripped it off and threw him out of the ship on their way down. Oh, yeah. That's a cool idea. Like, wow. yeah, I, I don't know. And and just all the the robots being sympathetic towards humans, I think, is really well handled. in here. It's really well done. Yeah. Like it makes optimus feel extra admirable for his empathy but it also like makes a lot of sense as well yeah <laughs> I, I i really like it and it gets people like sam's dad on his on the team of the autobots yep right like if, if big robots came down i would not trust any of them yeah even if they did look like vintage trucks yeah especially if they look like vintage well yeah, you're right, right. i trust the trucks before i trust the airplanes yeah me too and the sports cars so like um, that's, that's a 10 for me Sorry. That's a 10 for you. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. give it a nine. And yeah. uh, Roman also gave it a nine. Nice. Good, good comic. I, I really like this Daniel Warren Johnson guy. I think he's got he's got some legs. He's got on. legs. Django, get ready for this. I forget yeah. what I used to call the X-Men corner. I used to have like um, a thing I would say. The, the House of X? No, I don't think it was that. Andrew, what did I used to say? The Danger Room. No, but I think it was equally unclever or less so. Um, Cerebro Town. Rise of the Powers of X. Last week we had Fall of the House of X. This is Rise of the Powers of X. It's coming out in alternating issues. Those two series like House of X and Powers of Ten did originally. Maybe this is Rise of the Powers of Ten. Um, this one is written by Kieran Gillen. This was a phenomenal issue. Nice. This was so good. And, and I would think that this ending is inspired by seeds that Hickman had left with because the fact that like Omega Sentinel, the red Sentinel, like that we're in the final act now. And this series takes place 10 years in the future. And they're dealing with the fact that Omega Sentinel's consciousness was sent back from the reality of powers of X number six, that Moira life when that Moira died. And so then she installed the AI because they wanted to become a dominion. That was the whole thing happening at the end of powers 10. Um, so that Omega Sentinel, like came back and, and then they're like, they make a world mind and then a dominion comes down and this was like their plan all along. But then they like kill a Mr. Sinister who had a backup kill switch because he was like, you know, he's Mr. Sinister, Sinister and he was messing with those Moira clones. So like it then cuts that reality off and we're back to just uh, the powers of 10 now time. They're the normal Krakoa time. But Xavier is like, we gotta, there's like one Moira we got to find Moira Prime. We, we got to go back in time and kill her before her mutant powers manifest. So that way she never exists and her lives don't restart. Um, forgive some of those details in there. Are, are we on Moira's final life, right? Yeah, or 10th or like it's the only guaranteed one or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think if she were to die in, in this one, I don't know. Maybe we keep going. But but yeah, you know, Charles. It's, it's the high stakes one. Yeah, but Charles basically says, yeah, we just got to go back to when she was a kid before her powers manifest. 
and kill her then so that way like you know as long as she exists she's stuck in that loop yeah i don't think we know for sure that if she dies this time she's dead forever i think that like she would die and reality would start again i think that's the concern so like as long as she's alive when she dies she restarts back to when her powers manifested when she was 12 so they're gonna go back in time before that and kill her um anyway it's explained really well in this it's tied in really really well to the hickman stuff I love it. Kieran Gillen can be hit and miss with me, but this is him writing uh, really, really well. And it really feels like um, the right direction to be ending the Krakoan era in. So I gave this one a 10 as well. Roman, our missing man, gave it a seven. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that there's any chance that we get more Hickman on X-Men? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, probably not. As it pertains to the Krakoan age, I could see them bringing him back for like anniversary stories or another mini series after there's a new status quo established. But I, I wouldn't think they would. Like I think their opportunity was to have him write this big final twelve issue thing. But this is the end of it. And like I'm glad he's writing what he's writing right now. Yeah, because damn. Uh, yeah, so weird. His, so his weird. decisions, his scheduling decisions are so weird to me. So weird. So weird. Um. Yeah. I don't know, Django. What do you think? Shout right. out, Bloodrick number two came out. Django, did you read Bloodrick number one? You read number two? No, I haven't read either Dude, of them. Dude, I, I know. It's so awesome. Okay, you guys loved it so much that we sold out a number one before I could read it. It. <laughs> if this issue starts much like the last one, where he's just sort of like hunting and stuck alone in the snow, but then it like comes like then he sees this like light in a faraway village and he just starts like trekking towards it and he gets there and it's like deserted and then he finds this cabin and that's where it ends it could have just been him trucking around in a wasteland trying to find food and i would be totally on board with this that's what you said about the last issue and this one introduces (laughs) a narrative halfway through it that then i was like oh my god i'm actually excited to see what's going to happen in this so it could have been just that and it would have been great but they've actually introduced now a story that's happening for it that i'm interested in so that's even cooler when you like looking at the pictures and Mm -hmm. uh and you're liking where it's going god blood rick you got to read this book what what do you give this one i gave it a 9.0 nice comics were good this week dude yeah they were high highs and some mediocre spots too i read unnatural order number two Oh, yeah. How's that going? It's pretty good. It's very different than the first one. Uh-oh. Uh, the first one followed a bunch of, like, witches and barbarians trying to defeat uh, ultimate evil. And this one has a bunch of modern marines encountering the ultimate evil in modern times in the CERN reactor. So if like you're interested... Hadron Collider. In hearing about how the comics place dealt with the release of this issue and the ordering of issue number one and two, uh, you could listen to uh, our podcast Data Bros, which Data Bros. I think we're going to drop an episode in this feed, but you could also look for it in your podcast app, Dat- Data Bros, D-A-T-A-B-R-O-S. And uh, I think it's episode two or three where we talk about that. But um, uh, It's actually episode one. Those first two we did were episode zero and 0.1. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We were talking about highest selling issue number one. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It might be two. I think it is two. I don't yeah. know, bud. Um, either way, it was a lot of fun. So check out Data Bros. Hang out with us and Brian Garside. Um, yeah. yeah. So on Natural Order two. So I'm getting a vibe that you maybe liked a little less than number one. I wouldn't say that at all. I. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I. I I'm think so I excited a... about that plug. I forgot about reading you. <laughs> uh, 
this one, it, it was just a hard right turn. So I, I went in expecting to get kind of immediate resolution on the, the fantastical people meeting the Marine who was tied up in the bad guy's lair at the end of the first issue. And instead we spend half the issue hanging out with a bunch of Marines being surprised by this wizard. Um, and then we, we catch up to the the previous issue and there's, there's some really inventive bad guys in here, like, like moss monsters that come out of the water and just, it's just good fantasy stuff. And I don't, I don't really think of fantasy as good most of the time. It, yeah. It's just a genre that doesn't normally grab me. I'm with you. Um, but this is, this is a, a good comic. And um, despite being a, a whole bunch of genres that I'm pretty ambivalent about, I'm, I'm in for the next two issues. And it's, it's uh, only a four issue series. So score. I think I just oversold my score. I'd give it, I'd give it a seven and a half. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't, it's still a good, if, comic. If it didn't have some magic in here though. I'd give it like a five, just punishing it for being yeah. subjects that I don't care about. So Django, did you read the final issue of volume one of sacrificers? No, I haven't. Oh. I, I, I meant to, and I fell asleep after reading subgenre because that one twisted my brain up so much. Well, I'm not going to spoil it because some cool things happen in it, but more of maybe the direction of what this story is become clear in it. Oh, nice. Um, which has been sort of, uh, I like that it's been six issues of sort of figuring out what the story is even going to be. On the top, uh, I gave that one. Uh, 8.5. That's very patient of Rick Remender. It is very patient of Rick Remender. In a world yeah. where you're not guaranteed a second volume right now, right? He also mentioned that Holy Roller in the letters pages in the back is in the same universe as Scumbag, which I thought was cool. That makes sense. Same artist, maybe? Oh, maybe. I'm not similar sure. Similar artist for sure. Yeah, similar for sure. And then Masterpiece number two, and the topic of becoming clear what it is, this is that Bendis book with, uh, whoa, yeah, with Alex Maleev on art. Mm-hmm. Um, it became clear what this is, and this is like a heist book. Oh, and what am I doing not reading it? I think you should read it. There's story fractals around that, but it's pretty cool. And like they're trying to replicate a heist, and it sort of has this fun like layout of all the people in the original heist, and it looks like a video game. And so nice. then it shows them relating to okay, who are that? Where are they now? Those people and has some reason, and then they they're like trying to build their own. Anyway, it's cool heisty stuff. But then also it's Bendis, and I was thinking about Bendis, and it's just interesting writers because I'm also reading Ultimate Spider-Man, and you know he's got kind of a shtick, and Roman doesn't like it, and I do like it, and mm-hmm. but I think it's you know I'm wondering he does seem like he's kind of leaning more into the shtick now, and there's not a lot of the cool innovation and big stuff happening around the shtick that used to be happening. And it's just an it's, interesting spot to be like kind of at a, I don't want to say like parodying yourself or something, but like there's, it seems like it's maybe missing something while still trying to dress up to be Bendis. Do you think he's leaning into it now just because of this comic or with other things? of? His I think lately kind of read? in, in general, I guess okay. it's kind of, yeah, my, my vibe, but I also okay. think he's doing slightly more like, not even slightly, just more offshoot things, things that are of more unique interest or subset of right. interest, you know? Right. So, yeah. um, but I gave that one an 8.0. It's a heist nice. comic. That's I like, I like heists. I like eights. Yeah. Um, I don't have much else to yeah, say. I'm except spent. That I think, I think you would really enjoy subgenre. Yes. Okay. What just, is that? It's that oversized Max Kent oh, or Matt Kent oh, book that's coming out. Right. I don't know if you read the first issue about like the the sci-fi detective who's 
solving a mystery for a big corporation because the IP men show up and start like giving them a hard time about the, the intellectual property that's being abused. And then he starts like flashing between genres. And in this issue, we find out that maybe he's changing worlds or maybe he's schizophrenic, but it's like, there's, there's a page where they're talking about characters who are sort of timeless or ciphers of each other. Uh And there's four sort of archetypes that they start with. It's Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, and Arsene Lupin. And there's is just James Bond with the the words scribbled out. (laughs) And then later on at some point, he's like, another order is dedicated to training lost souls in ancient martial arts. They're surprisingly busy with everything from and and then there's an editor's note and it says editor's note, James Bond, Bruce Wayne, Iron Fist, etc. are all copyrighted characters and not part of the public domain. Yeah, like that's not who we're talking about. But just here's a little factoid that's unrelated to what you just read. Yeah, Um, I love Matt Kent. That sounds really interesting. I get the feeling he's a paranoid person. He better be. Yeah, or less paranoid since he's writing it. But like this guy takes trips through other Matt Kent comics. Oh, cool as as backgrounds it's this is like the most snake eating its own asshole comic yeah. that i've ever read and it was in a good way but it made me tired nice well what do you um, give it and let's go home uh i'm already home jeff oh, but i would give warm. it a seven and a half. Oh, i wouldn't i wouldn't normally say i really think you should read something but i think you would get something different out of this comic than i am well now I want to read it, but I also got to read Wonder Woman so we can talk about that. Yeah, not that I'm not was, caught up on Wonder Woman. And you also totally have to watch Dave. Yeah. Dude, I was watching Dave the other night and uh-huh. just floored that you haven't connected with Dave or... That's the one Atlanta with the yet. rapper guy? Lil Dicky? Yeah. Yeah. He like writes it? Yeah. It, he, he writes it. He stars in it. Okay. It's It's like a like a it's not about his life but no, it's, it's yeah, like this I, fantastical version of his life yeah it's it's fabulous storytelling and like i don't know it's like a like a study on personalities and depression through the filter of fart jokes and dick jokes so it's like perfect for you and me yeah okay i want to watch it i i have been looking for a thing to watch while i'm alone also this is not this is us after the podcast. Um, <laughs> do you want to uh, wrap up the podcast? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like, so anyway, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you can get a hold of us by emailing Jeff at the comicsplace.com. We love it. We love when you do that to us. Do it more. Content. Give us your content. Mm, I want your content. Um, yeah. Outside of that, comics rule. We love you. We love Roman. I hope he's feeling better. Uh, he's got a little swelling, I think. He's got a little swelling. <laughs> it's a goiter joke. Let me get him a turtleneck. Um, he the heat is not working essentially in his apartment, and Bellingham is having an extreme cold snap right now, and his apartment's too cold to be alive in. So we don't have him, and we're all the better for it, right, Django? Oh yeah, we're a tight team. Two. We're a tight team with an M. Team. Okay. Team Good. with an M, as Good. in as in munching. Oh, God. (laughs) See you next week. Bye, everybody.